Yes, Lord, this evening, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We turn, Lord. We turn. Father, that's what we, that's what you're looking for, O Lord. A set of people who will continuously turn toward you. Who will never be tired of turning toward you, O Lord. Even as we see more light about our own self, Father, we will turn toward you, O Lord. Yes, Lord, our God is a consuming fire. But Lord, in this age of grace, you are a burning bush. You consume the sin in us. But you give us grace to overcome. And therefore, O Lord, even as we have sung, enable us to continue to change, to turn, to repent. Change our course every day of our lives, even as we see more truth about ourselves. Enable us to love the truth about ourselves every day, O Lord. Thank you, Father, for this day. God, even as we meditate upon your word, speak to our hearts. Convict us, O Lord. Exhort us, encourage us as a father does a son. Cause us to walk in your ways and therefore grant us anointing, O Lord, to speak and to hear. Your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, uh, in the light of what we've been studying, uh, about knowing God. So I just wanted to ask this question to ourselves. Titled this message, Do I Know My God? That's very important. It's not, do I know God? It is, do I know my God? Do I know my word? Okay, that's very important. Very important for us to understand that. Look at that. That was, uh, we looked at on Sunday, First Timothy chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. And nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. Remember that famous hymn, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that I have committed to him until that day. And a remarkable statement on Sunday that we heard, one of the more certain things, more certain than death, is that we have an appointment with that day. Because that day can come even before death. And I was Stunning statement that we looked at last time. And therefore this is so important for us. That I know. That I know him. You you need to know. How do I know that I know? And why is this so important? Why is this so important for us in these last days? In Daniel chapter 11 verses 31 to 33. This is what uh, prophecy that that the angel gave shows Daniel. And this is what it says. And forces shall be mustered by him. This is talking about the Antichrist. And the forces, and forces shall be mustered by him. And they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place their abomination of desolation. There, place there the abomination of desolation. And place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. 
This is what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to corrupt those who forget the covenant. And covenant is talking about this relationship that you have with your God. Covenantal relationship, you see. And those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. This is talking about the Antichrist. And then, but the people who, what? Know their God. This is awesome. What shall be? What what shall they be? But the people who know their God. Isn't it amazing? It is not for the people who know God. No, 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 no. It is people who know their God shall be strong and shall carry out great exploits. And of course, verse 33. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. And under what circumstances would they instruct? Yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. There's going to be intense persecution against the church. And there's going to be, in those times, there'll be so many people who will, because they know their God, they're going to carry out mighty exploits. Question is, do you want to be a part of that? And this gets confirmed uh, in, 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 the, in the New Covenant when Jesus is actually referring to this part of Scripture in the Old Covenant when he says in Mark's Gospel chapter 13, look at what he says, and brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father is child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You see that this is this is a promise that is given to all of us. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Matthew chapter 24, what is he, under what circumstances? And this gospel of the kingdom, kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel. You see, a lot of people don't realize that Daniel is a prophet. Okay. And, and you should see so many criticisms. Upper criticism, lower criticism, textual criticism. To ascertain that there were two Daniels. That Daniel wrote the book of Daniel after all the things happened. (laughs) You know, Jesus said, you know, the prophet Daniel. So if you believe in Jesus, then you don't have any problem accepting that Daniel is a prophet. But if you do not believe in Jesus, you have bigger problems than the prophethood of Daniel. Okay. That's very, very important. Okay. So this is it. Standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. What should he understand? Look at what it says in Daniel chapter 12 verse 9. And he said, go your way, Daniel. <laughs> Daniel wants to know more. Lord, when will this happen? When will... Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand but the who will understand the wise will understand you see that wise will understand and verse 11 and from the time that daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation set up there shall be 1290 days so many prophecies over there but look at this this is this is something which is guaranteed the context here being 1132 But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Okay. So, 
to whom is this message targeted? Or uh, who will understand? Let me tell you something. People who do not, who are not born again will have no idea what's going on over here. So if you're not born again, so if you're not a believer, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is so important, so important. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a preposterous, ridiculous statement. I, I saw a, state, a book in the library. Christianity is ridiculous. Absolutely. True. It's ridiculous. You know, C.S. Lewis says this, this, this thing about that statement. He says, when somebody says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Either There are only three options. Either he's a liar. What is he? A liar. He is absolutely lying. Was Jesus lying? Think about it, no. When you are at the point of being put to death and being tortured, at least at that point, you'll say, no, 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 no. At this time I'm lying, please, 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 please. I'm not, I'm not God. He'll change your statement, but he said, you know what? Pilate said, don't you know that I have power to kill you and the power to release you and he says nothing, you do not have any authority except that is given from heaven, I have authority later on my life, I have authority to raise it up again in John's gospel chapter 10 and he says everyone who is on the side of truth hears me that is one option, second option he is a madman, lunatic, liar lunatic and you read the gospels hardly Possibly they were stunned at the wisdom of Jesus. Stunned. Stunning statements he made and he silenced the voice of all those religious clan over there. Stunning statements. Hardly a lunatic. So if he is not liar, if he is not lunatic, what is the only third option left? He is Lord. There is only other option that is left is only that is he is Lord. Either he is a liar, either he is a lunatic or he is Lord. No one comes to the Father except for me. That's an amazing statement. Therefore, if you're not born again, you will have no idea what's going on over here. That is the reason why Matthew chapter 11 verse 21 will say, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Father except the, uh, knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal. And he will reveal him only to those who know the Father, those people who are born again. Therefore, if you're not born again, this message will not make any sense. But if you're born again, question I need to ask myself is, do I know my God? So important. See, because otherwise, we will not have the assurance like Apostle Paul had. I know. I know whom I have believed. What amazing statement. It is so confident. I mean, sometimes you'll see this is overconfident. Really? Do you know? Think about it. Everybody has forsaken you. All the people, entire Asia Minor. That's what we were looked at last time. Entire Asia Minor. Every church that he has established has forsaken. So many brothers with whom he has worked have forsaken him. Demas has loved the world and forsaken him. Titus is not there. Timothy is not there. There are a few people who are with him. And he looks at all that and he says, I know 
whom I have believed. Now that's that's a statement even Moses makes, right? He says, you're not entering into the promised land, Moses. How many people did you bring? Two people. How many people got saved in your ministry? 600,000 men. How many people overcame? Two. And you're not entering into the promised land? No. But I know him. Ascribe greatness to the God, our rock. His ways are perfect and all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. He knows his God. So how do I know that I know that I know my God? So this question will be answered by scripture. Let us see. Let us examine a few characters. 1 John chapter 3, chapter 1 was, chapter 2, sorry. This is not 1 John chapter 1. It's chapter 2 verses 3 to 6. Now by this we know that we know him. Saw that everybody? Okay. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments, he's a liar. It's very important. So there is a direct correlation between knowing God and keeping his commandments. Commandments. That's a very strange word. Do we have commandments in the new covenant? Ten commandments have we not come out of the law? Just want to look at what does it mean to keep his commandments. By the way, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is a A necessary condition, but not a sufficient condition. What does it mean? You love him and therefore you will keep his commandments. You will keep his commandments. Does not imply that you love him. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? It's like, it's like you're telling your child, sit down on the dining table. Sit down right now. My whole mind and my will says that I want to stand up. In my heart, I'm standing up, but I'm sitting down. That's not what he's saying. See, there's a, therefore there's a direct correlation between knowing God and keeping his commandments. What does it mean? What does it imply? Let us, let us try to analyze this attitude a little bit more. I just try to Keep this in few, uh, in, in my own words. It's an attitude of total surrender and submission. It's remarkable. Look at this in Matthew chapter 8. This is Jesus talking to the centurion. He says, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only command or speak a word and my servant will be healed. And then he gives a reason as to why he made that statement. Look at what he says. What do you expect the next word to be? For. You see that? For. I also am a man under authority. Having soldiers under me. And I say to this one go. And he goes. And to another come. And he comes. And to my servant do this. And he does. And that is the reason why Paul tells Timothy as a good soldier. Why? A soldier obeys implicit and his only motive is to please the one who enlisted him into the service. 
attitude of absolute surrender do you think that we have? Janta, these days, who will surrender absolutely? <laughs> Forget it. And you know, very few times Jesus has marveled. It's like you are stunning God. Can God be stunned? Apparently so. Look at what he says. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. I mean, he marveled at a centurion's faith and he marveled at the Israelites' unbelief. And, and when you look at their unbelief, he marveled. And he could not do anything except healing a few sickness because of their unbelief. And he marveled. And he looked at this centurion, a non-Jew, a Roman centurion. He looks at him and he says, Marvel and he says, surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith. No, not even in Israel. You know, you see, this is amazing. You see that when you, it says in Romans chapter 4, he says, he grew strong in faith. Abraham grew strong in faith and he gave glory to God. When did he grow strong in faith? When it, when he came to know that he was as good as dead and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Both were absolutely dead, but you know what? He was fully persuaded that he who promised him is able to perform it. And therefore, he believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And my righteous will live by faith. He marveled. And then he makes a very powerful statement. Look at what he says. And I say unto you, many will come from east and the west, from India and America and Europe. Okay, so, so let us only consider the east. I'm there, you see. So when Jesus said east, I was there. (laughs) And I say to you, many will come from the east and sit down at Abraham, with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, notice that word, sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is there absolute surrender in our lives? Really? Second thing, it is total surrender irrespective of consequences. Total obedience. That's what we looked at, right, last time on Sunday. Daniel and his three friends, whether we are saved or not saved, let it be no king. We are absolutely sure what we are going to do. God can save us. God may not save us. Elijah, Elijah, Lord, I have done everything according to your word. Now you prove yourself. And you know, Art Katz, and when Pastor was talking about that, I just remembered one sermon by Art Katz. He said, when Elijah said, Lord, I have done everything according to your word. Come and prove yourself. And you know what? He was not commanding God. He was not commanding God. He was saying, Lord, even if you don't turn up, Because God is not obligated to turn up. Even if you don't turn up. See that? That's remarkable, isn't it? Irrespective of the consequences. And we we saw all the positive examples last time. Look at one negative example. First Samuel chapter 15 verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment. He did not obey. You performed. That's a, that's a problem. A lot of people perform. They don't obey. It's performance for them. Why do they perform? They want applause. You see that? You see, that that's the reason why, you know, when pastor says captive audience, I, I was like, oh my goodness. 
you know, you know what captive audience is, right? When you have a, 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 a reality show going on, okay, suddenly you will not see it in the crowd. There'll be a lot of people in the crowd, and the guy from behind will be prompting applause, laugh, ha ha Every it's it's exactly that. And this guy is performing. He's not obeying. He's performing the commandment. A lot of people perform. They don't obey. But Samuel said, what is this bleating then? Partial obedience. Partial obedience is not equal to disobedience. What did I say? Partial obedience is not equal to disobedience. It's worse. Let me tell you what it is. Verse 22 onwards. So Samuel said, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Partial obedience is equal to rebellion. Partial obedience is witchcraft. Partial obedience is stubbornness. Partial obedience is iniquity. Partial obedience is idolatry. It's amazing. Let these convictions be strong in our hearts, young generation. You know, because we have a people, a set of people who are contentious. That is the reason why it says in Romans chapter 2, for those who are contentious and do not obey the truth. That is KJV, by the way. Contentious. Why should I? Contend. Why should I obey? That is rebellion. That is witchcraft. Stubbornness. Iniquity. Idolatry. That's, that is the reason why Saul did not see that because he thought obeying, obeying was performing. In other words, as long as I show that God is with me. Look at guys, look at, look at this guys. See what's gonna happen. What if God would not give you victory? See that? Because you have rejected the word of God. Have I? Yeah, partially. So if you have rejected the word of God partially, you have rejected the word of God. That's the reason James says. Ten commandments are given. If you have disobeyed God in one commandment, you have broken the entire commandment. That's remarkable. That's the reason why he asks very wisely, right? Jesus says, keep the commandment. Which ones? Honor your father and your mother. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Etc, etc, and, and he will by delib- deliberately leaves the last commandment, thou shalt not covet. Covet. Thou shalt not covet. He would have said that, then the young man, he wanted to prove to the young man that he was a covetous man. But you know that story. Because you have rejected the word of God, he also has rejected you from being a king. So in other words, If I have no absolute total surrender, implicit obedience, boy, it convicts me a lot. I I, I look at my own life and I see partial obedience here, partial obedience there. And I say, Lord, you've been patient with me. Patient with me, Lord. Let that not be the case. Let the Lord convict you and show you areas in your life where you have obeyed, Lord, partially. In other words, you're saying, Lord, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, Lord. Even if I have to lose everything, I will still obey you. Because you're worth it. That is the reason why Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 will say, My people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. Because what? You have rejected me. I also will reject you as my priests. Because you have rejected the law of your God. I will also ignore your children. Another thing about commandments. 
commands are a treasure. You get that? You need to understand this. Commands are a treasure. Let me see. I'm not, let scripture speak for itself, okay? Proverbs chapter 2 verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and what? Treasure my commands within you. Boy. So what do you mean by treasure? What do you do with treasure? So that you incline your ear with to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and you lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her, search for her, seek her. You see that how people go for a treasure hunt? You saw that movie Hobbit, right? I mean, J.R. Tolkien's famous poem. Far away on misty mountains cold, to dungeons deep and caverns old. We must away ere break of day to find our lost forgotten gold. It's not we break away. No, 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 no. We must M-U-S-T away. Tolkien was a wise man. A break of day. And who has captured that treasure? You know that, right? Who captured the treasure? Hepepsi? Who captured the treasure? You haven't seen the movie. The dragon captured the treasure, isn't it? Yeah, the treasure is captured by the dragon and they risk everything. And they find a thief on the way. We must away. Treasure hunts. Why do they kill for treasure? They seek for treasure. It's like, boy, this is it. I want to, I'm, I'm willing to risk my life for this. Do you ever have that kind of an attitude when you go to the word of God? Matthew chapter 13 verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And then what happens? When a man found it, he hid it. He hides it first. And then he goes in his joy. He sells everything he's got and comes back. That's remarkable. People will not understand this. People will not understand this. This is madness, Vijay. Absolutely. Because commands are treasure. You treasure commands, children? Treasure. Think about it, no? What is the command that God is telling me from this sermon? Oh, that's the command. Obey your father and mother. Treasure. Do you say that? I'm just giving an example. Treasure. That is the reason why Jesus said, I'm not going to throw pearls before swine because if you are not interested, why should I give you commands? If you really love me, you will not only keep my commands, you will find my commands as a treasure. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. Look at what he says. But whatever was an asset to me. (laughs) This is the Berean study Bible, by the way. I like this translation. Whatever was an asset to me, I count it as loss for the sake of of Christ more than that I call or count all things as loss compared to the surpassing excellence of knowing God knowing Christ Jesus my Lord I want to know him I'm willing to give up every, everything and that's the reason I said I love this man what kind of an attitude is this surpassing excellence of knowing Christ Think about it, no? Knowing Christ, gold. Knowing Christ, career. Knowing Christ, boyfriend. 
Knowing Christ, what do you choose? Where your treasure is, there your heart is. I like this verse. Surpassing excellence. And you know what happens when we choose him? We make God look excellent. He's excellent. He's beautiful beyond description. Too marvelous for words. Too wonderful for comprehension. And I stand in awe of him. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 to 10 he says, But you are a chosen generation, a race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him. So you choose Christ. You choose Christ beyond everything you're proclaiming. He is excellent beyond anything that I can have. For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. You are not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Another attitude. It's commands are a treasure. And where your heart treasure is, there your heart is. And therefore it is surrender and submission from the heart. Very important. 1 John chapter 5 verse 3. In fact, this is love for God. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. I love him. Absolutely. Nothing is too difficult and too much for God. That is the reason why he has an indictment against the efficient church. You you know what? You're doing so much of activity, but you lost your love. Remember the first time when you loved me. You loved me with all of your heart. You were there for every meeting. You read your Bible as you, as if there was no tomorrow. Remember that time? Remember those days, saints? Or did you have those days at all? When you read your Bible as if there was no tomorrow. That is the reason why Pastor was talking about this verse in Proverbs chapter 23 verse 26. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Heart. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Romans chapter 6 verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were once slaves of sin, you became obedient from the what? From the where? From the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. If it is not from the heart, the commands are burdensome. They are absolutely a wearisome exercise. That is the last indictment to the book, in the book of Malachi. You have, when you come to the Lord, you're coming to church. Oh Lord, I would have come to church today. I remember my dad is not here. No. It was a wearisome exercise before he knew God to come to church. Those days he was in a Lutheran church and he used to say, Vijay, the sermons used to be so boring. I mean, I used to, Never want to come because I was not saved. I didn't know what the sermon was. And finally my dad persuaded me to come to church. And never forget that word he said. And the pastor looked at my father and he said, Banu, at last you have come to church. My dad looked at him and he said, Alas, I have come to you. It was, it was a burdensome exercise. I will never forget that. I said, Dad, you said that? Yes, Vijay, I said that. Alas, I have come to you. It's, that's exactly what I, what many people, oh, at last you have come to church. Oh, Lord, at last. It was never my intention to come. I stumbled upon this place. Burdensome exercise. 
You see, if the way you treasure God and His Word, if it is not from your heart, you can see, people close to you will see you and see pretense in you. They will never see genuine genuineness, especially children. I'll tell you something. You want radical disciples in your house, in your home? Your children should become radical disciples, parents, to be parents. You want people to be your children to know God. I mean, it's a prayer. Lord, let them know at a, know you at a very early age. Lord, let them surrender their lives to you. That's a prayer. It's a fun, wonderful prayer to pray. But what about you? Deuteronomy chapter 6. And these words which I command you today. Command who? You. He's talking to the parents. Shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them. First, it should be in your heart. You shall Teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Man, you are absolutely fired up about the word of God in your home. Abigail is here, okay. One day she came to me and he said, I mean, I, I can never forget. I, when I heard that, I had a sense of awe and responsibility just coming into my heart. And she looked at me and said, Dad, you know the word by heart. And I looked at her, how do you know, baby? I don't know everything much. Okay, I know only, only parts of the word by heart. But Lord, Dad, you know it by, by heart. And I said, boy, what a responsibility. And she's looking at me. How does, he, how does she even know that? I mean, I like that, no? Dad, you didn't memorize the word. You know it? By heart. That's interesting. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. In other words, every decision that you take in your life is dominated by the word of God. That's how much you love it. I mean, I, whenever I come to, parents come to our school for counseling, this is exactly what we say to them. I said, you know what? If you do not treasure God, don't expect your children to treasure God. Forget it. Forget it. No way. When they see your devotion to Christ, they should be either absolutely attracted to the devotion or absolutely be averse to that. There should not be any middle ground. Okay, I can also pretend like the way dad pretends. No way. No way. No way. No way. No way. No way. And then, you know what happens? When you grow up with this consistency in your life, and you know what? You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house. In other words, in, on your heart. And verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies, Lord? Father, statutes and judgments that the Lord has commanded you, then you shall tell your son. That is the opportunity that you will take and you tell them, you know what? I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to sin. And God saved me and he gave me his word. How can I not treasure it? 
I want to give you an amazing example. I'm stunning example from the scripture. Everybody knows this. Uh, it's a very interesting question. Who made Timothy a believer? Answer. Acts chapter 16 verse 1. Then they came to Derby and Lystra and behold a certain disciple. Who was there? Certain disciple was there. Whose name was? Timothy. Who came? Luke came. Paul came. Everybody came and they came to Lystra and they saw this young man already a believer and a disciple. Who made him a disciple? A son of a Jewish woman. Amazing, no? Who believed. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted him to go with him. And Paul looked at this guy and he said, you know what? Boy, this guy is unbelievable. I don't know what he saw in Paul. He said, Timothy, (laughs) be circumcised. I mean, I mean, this is fantastic, okay? Think about it, no? This guy is already a disciple. He's already there. He already knows that you don't have to be circumcised to be a, become a believer. Because his mother already taught the scriptures right from childhood, right from being an infant. You know the holy scriptures which is able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, there is no circumcision nor uncircumcision, but a new man. And Paul, who talked about Uncircumcision, circumcision, and he says, Timothy, come, 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 come here. Let's get circumcised. Can you imagine? Paul, what are you talking about? Just what what are you saying? You know, what are you saying? Arguments, contentions. Don't you know doctrine, Paul? Whether Paul did right or not is not the question over here. I am looking at this guy absolutely surrendered. He said, okay, fine. Let's do it. And you know, right? What it is? For three days, they had to be healed at Jordan. I am telling you something, you know. If you parents do not treasure the word of God, Treasure God. Treasure His word. Treasure His relationship with you. And your relationship with Him. You will never be able to make disciples. But if you do that, you would have made disciples and Paul's will come one day into their lives. Look at him. Why? Become my co-worker. Let's get your resume into my team. And he stays the course. To the end of his life. Okay. Got that. Last thing. About loving God. Keeping, I mean, loving his commandments. Knowing him and keeping his word. Why is this important? I'll tell you something. One of the things that I observed, even in my own life. I mean, this is a struggle that many people go through. Struggle. Lord, do you love me? Okay, it's like this, no? He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. I mean, this, so many believers don't have assurance of the fact that God loves them. Jesus comes and says, I love you. What do you say? 
As Malachi says, I love you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Remarkable. Jesus says something very interesting. Between commandments and being assured of the love of God. John's gospel chapter 15 verse 9 and 10. As the father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Let me tell you something. The more you obey, the more you will experience the love of God. And that is the reason why he says, moreover we joy in tribulations. Why? Because tribulation works perseverance. Perseverance works proven character. Character works hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts because of the Holy Spirit which is given to us. Amazing. Do you know that God loves you? Obey Him. Believe and you will see. Show me, Lord, that you love me. Then I will obey. No, 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 no. Believe. Prove to Him by obeying. And He will show what love is. And then He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that joy may be Amazing. So do you love God? This way? Do you know Him this way? This is just parameters to be, to, to, in our own life to see whether it's our relationships to His commandments, saints. It's remarkable. That's ultimate. Second attribute to check if I know God. Knowing him and my attitude towards sin. I don't have to say anything. Let the scripture speak for itself. John's gospel, 1 John. This is epistle of John chapter 3 verses 4 onwards. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. You see that? Then we says, verse 7, Dear children, let, do not let anyone deceive you. Astray. Go, lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous. Simple. Just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God has appeared was to destroy the devil's work and what is the work of the devil to lead you astray to sin and to break the power of sin is the reason why the son of God has come. So let's try to understand this a little more detail. In other words, he continues to say, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's sin remains in him, in them, they cannot go on sinning. Because they have been born of God. So what is this about sinning? There has to be some definitions, clear-cut definitions. And you know, whenever we come to church, definitions is important. Precision is important. 
to become precise is to become more and more precise as a mark of a mature believer and it takes a lot of time to become to become precise by the way precision like that is the reason why in first corinthians chapter 14 it says if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound the certainty in god he clearly defines what it is to sin and the definition of sin is differs differs from person to person by the way if you're if you're an unbeliever and if you're a believer there's a lot of of different definitions of sin. So let's try to understand in the context of our attitude towards sin and knowing him, what is to sin? I want to put this way. I want to make a statement and I want to uh, substantiate the statement with an argument. With an argument. Radical attitude towards killing sin in my life. If any man says that he has no sin, he makes who a liar? God a liar. So there should be a radical attitude towards killing sin. So if you're truly born again, and if I really want to know him, there is one thing that obstructs my relationship with God, and that is sin. John Owen wrote a book called Mortification of the Flesh. This is a statement that he makes. Kill sin, or sin will kill you. So how do we do it though? How do we go about killing sin in our life so that we can prove to ourselves that we know God? First, it starts off with a promise. How does it start? With a promise. Everybody knows the promise, I hope. Romans chapter 6 verse 14. For, very important statement. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And because it starts off with a for, let's try to put it in context. Okay? That is, try to get the definition of sin. That's the idea. Go with me? Okay? Just follow closely the argument. Alright? Let's see from verses 12 onwards. Therefore, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. It's as if, you know, he's talking about sin being a master almost. Sin has got a personality, in other words, that you should obey its lusts, etc. So it's some kind of a personality over there. And then he says, read this word, and do not. Everybody said do not? Loudly. Do not. Thank you. Do not. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That's the first part. Got that everybody? Yeah. I'm just trying to draw out a definition of sin from the arguments that Paul is giving to the promise that sin shall not have dominion over you. You got that? Okay. So, and do not present your members as instruments of uh, unrighteousness to sin. And then let's say, let's do the next part. But present yourselves to God. So you see the two parts over there. Do not present, but present. You got that? So do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So there is a do not part. And there is a 
do part. You see that? You got that? So let us try to draw the definition of sin from the statement. 1 John chapter 3 verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. If you do something that you are not supposed to do, it is sin. Okay. Then, therefore, this is James chapter 4 verse 17. Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it is sin. No. Paul is, 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 is combining these two in that argument. He says, sin shall not have dominion over you. Not to do is also sin. I mean, so to do what you are not supposed to do is sin. And not to do what you are supposed to do is also sin. You got that everybody? You got that? So, I mean, did anybody see it this way? We saw it. If you were in pastor's conference, this is what we saw. That is the reason why pastor's conference messages are not just for pastors. It is for everybody. Look at what he says in Colossians chapter 3. He kind of says, how do we kill sin? And he uses some real strong words. He says, mortify in some translations. In other translations, says, put to death. Look at what he says. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. So put away, don't do all these things. But now you must put them all away. Do not do away. Just put them all away. Away with anger. Away with wrath. Away with malice. Away with slander. And away with obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self. With its practices. And then what should you do? After putting off. ah, You should put off. You see if you just put off. Only half. Obedience. And half obedience is equal to rebellion, witchcraft, idolatry, stubbornness, etc. So he says, put off, and then he says, okay, so what is he Put on the new self, which is being renewed, and it's a slow process, by the way. This is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of him. You see the word knowledge over there? Knowing. So how do we do it? Put on as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. You see? If one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. But how do we get motivated to do this? How do we get motivated to do this? Okay. But now you must, this is First Peter, uh, sorry, uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 8. But now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Okay. So how do I put it away? How do I get motivated to put it away? I need some motivation. God, I need motivation, God. Peter says, so put away all malice, all deceit, 
all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Boy, what is this? All malice, all deceit and hypocrisy, envy and all slander. Apparently, there are different kinds of slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of the word of God that you might grow up in your salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Oh, that is the motivation. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? That is the reason why I'm telling you honestly, you know, when pastor made that powerful statement, he said, everybody in your life, if you want to be a genuine believer, has to have a personal encounter, a radical encounter with the living God. Like Apostle Paul had. I was thinking about that. I mean, when he was telling me that, I was like, boy, that is true. It's a confirmation in my own heart. A radical encounter. And I tell you, so many people, you know why they are so confused is because they never had that one-on-one radical encounter with God. And therefore, they never tasted that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. My children love that, love that verse. Antinous go up. Dad, taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. So what do I do when I taste and see that the Lord is good? I put away. That gives me motivation. What else gives me motivation? So therefore, if I really need to put away, put away, I need to enjoy God's word. Not only that, not only that, something has to dwell inside of me. This is John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. Colossians 3.16. Look at what he says. Let the word of Christ, the same context in putting off and putting on. Let the word of Christ, look at that, word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and with thankfulness in your hearts and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. That is how you overcome sin. By allowing the word of Christ to dwell inside of you richly. And why should the word of Christ dwell in me richly? Romans chapter 10 verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Otherwise, I can never overcome sin. Why? For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Is there a radical attitude towards sin in your life? Is there? Lord, where in my life, Lord? I want to overcome sin in my life. I want to be truly your son. One way you overcome the sin in your life is to overcome the pleasure that comes from sin. Okay. See, the only way to overcome, because there's pleasure in sin, but for a season. So what should you do to overcome pleasure of sin? What should you do to overcome pleasure of sin? Replace it with a higher pleasure. Expulsive power of a competing affection. Expulsive power of a competing affection. Competing affection. I want to enjoy that pleasure. I want to enjoy that glory. Therefore, I want to give away this Passing pleasures. You know what we call it in, in economic terms, delayed gratification. I want to gratify myself all eternity. Not now. Not now. Not now. 
That is the reason why I love Rafa Nadal. He gives, they give up everything for that sport. 16th slam and counting. That has to come, right? Amazing. Amazing. I'll tell you something about this man, okay? This guy. He's been in this sport for almost like over a decade now. Over 15 years, if I'm right, not 15, but 10 years, if I'm right, of his career. He never changed his coach. And rebels like John McEnroe, who have no semblance of respect for authority at all. When he was going through a lean patch, you know what they said? Change your coach! Change your coach! Change your coach! That's exactly what, what people say. Change your church! Change your church! I mean, no offense. Okay, no offense. For all Federer fans. He had, he was changing coaches like he was changing diapers. You will teach me, I will teach you. Waste follow. Andy Murray also had a female coach. I don't know what she taught him. And immediately after a while, he went to the slump. He kicked her out. No wonder. And he got Ivan Lendl. And that changed his fortune. You know that? Observe people. And I love him. That is the reason why. When I see him on the field, on the court, I just don't see the game. I, I just imagine the preparation that he has gone through to play that shot. Yeah, that is remarkable. And that is the reason why, you know, when, when commentators say, you know what, his backhand is forged in steel. I said, boy, that's true. That's true. You know why? His coach is a hard task master. Very hard. And he said, you know what, I'm not giving up on you, uncle. He's, he's, he was his own uncle, by the way. He's not going to go with him anymore. Because he's ret- retiring. It's remarkable. I, I, this, this one incident in his life, okay. It's, re, it's very interesting how incredible these people had values, okay. He finished his match, he finished, he won the Grand Slam. And he came to his locker room. And his coach looked at him and he said, oh, where's the towel? He said, I left it there. He looked at him and he said, you left the towel? And he said, you never learn. And this fellow, sorry uncle, he ran and got back the towel. See. See what happens? And that is the reason why he's there at the top. Boy, he's gonna go after Federer, man. I'm speaking that into his life. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Alright, see this up. Because there's a pleasure there, saints. At his right hand. And you wanna enjoy sin now? By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, refused, grow up, in other words, grow up, refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, what are you enjoying? Suffering, you know why? Because there's an eternal weight of glory, eternal, 
I will not enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I want to know him. I want to be with him. And everybody who has this hope purifies himself. In closing, therefore it says in Romans chapter 8, so then brothers, we are not, we are debtors no longer to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the spirit you put to death, you see, mortify the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who mortify the deeds of the body by the spirit are led by the spirit of God and are called the sons of God. Grow up. Grow up. Attitude towards sin. Knowing him. Finally, knowing him, son, not a slave. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. I love this. Just, just observe the construction of these sentences, okay? This is remarkable. I mean, you'll just say, boy, I never seen this before. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not, what? When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature or not God's. It was your career. You were enslaved to your career. You were enslaved to your sin. You were enslaved to whatever, your relationship, I don't know. But then, look at this. Look at the construction here. But now that you have come to what? No God. No, 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 no. no. Or rather have been known by God. That is a different ball game altogether, isn't it? I know Narendra Modi. Everybody knows Narendra Modi. Does Narendra Modi know you? That's a problem. That's a point here. I know the president of the United States. Ah! I know the president of the United States, former, until donkey's years. What does it, what difference does it make? Does the president of the United States know you? That's what he's saying. See, sorry, how come have, I have come to know God or rather have been known by God? I mean, you, you need to understand when this incredible promise is given to you, it comes with a weight. Hathoda is coming. Okay. Something is coming after this. How can you turn back again to the weak and the worthless elements? Worthless elementary principles of this world whose slaves you want to be once more. You want to get entangled to the stupid things of this world now that you have known God. Not only known God, but God also knows you. You want to forsake all that? I mean, you need to search the scriptures to find, where do you find this this phrase, Known by God in another place. I mean, it's a, it's a very weighty statement. You know, very, many, a lot of people sing the song, I am a friend of God. He calls me friend, really. 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 And they dance and they put music to it and they go crazy. They're not even knowing what it means to become a friend of God. The only other place where this term that says, God says, I know you. Amos chapter 3, verse 2. 
You only have I known. <laughs> of all the families of the world, therefore what will I do? I will punish you for your iniquities. Oh, bro. I mean, you know, you know something? If you are going through discipline and humbling and chastening, God knows you. Welcome as a son. He knows you. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Boy. 1 John chapter 2 verse 13. Finally. Knowing him. Ultimately, sons have to become fathers. I mean, I didn't want to put it this way, by the way. But I'm not there yet. Okay, I have to prophesy only to the measure that I know. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him. It was from the beginning. You need to understand something. There is something which is indispensable in your walk with the Lord. That is having fathers. Spiritual fathers. Not only so, if you have really come to know God one day, you will become a spiritual father or mother. And this is what Paul has to say. I do not write these things to shame you. But as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you have 10,000 teachers in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And how am I able to say that I am your father? Imitate me. How do children learn? By imitating their fathers. This guy knows God so well. That you just follow him. You are done for life. And also eternity. Find fathers like that and follow them. And not only that, become fathers like that. That is the reason why God wanted to make Peter a father. Peter, do you love me? Question is very interesting. Do you agapeo me? Yes, Lord. I feel you. You. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you agapeo me? Yes, Lord. I feel you, you. <laughs> tend my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Final question. Peter, do you feel you, me? That is the love that the son has for the father. It is not just agapeo, it is filio, a love between equals. Yes, Lord. I feel you. Okay? Now, you're ready. You're ready. When you were a son, when you were a small fellow, you went wherever you wanted to go. But now, Peter, you will not want to go there, but I will put chains in your hands and I will take you there. I will take you there. That's an ultimate graduation, by the way. When you have become a father, boy, you have arrived. Sometimes, I mean, I, 
uh, I'll look at Pastor James and I look at him and say, Lord, how can you love such people? It's, a, it's, it's not a question that comes out of my mouth, but it's there deep down inside my heart. It's not articulated easily. How can you love Lord? Come on. I mean, it gets so irritated sometimes. I'm like this elder son sometimes, no? It's good to be a prodigal rather than be an elder. Can you just say something to him now? It doesn't come out. Isn't Many times it doesn't. It's always a father. That's ultimate knowing, okay? I'm just putting that benchmark over there where we need to all go. But you know what the parameters are to know God. The question is, do you know your God? Those who know their God shall do mighty exploits. Examine yourself today, saints. Ask God. Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. It will cost you. It will cost you. But what do you treasure? Knowing him or something else? And this will be the constant battle in your life. To treasure God or treasure something else or someone else or some career, whatever. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory, honor and praise for this time. Help us to know you. And we can only know you only when you reveal yourself to us. And the more we obey, the more we will know you, O Lord. And therefore, I pray, Lord, today you will create the desire inside each one of our hearts. The desire to know you. If this message, Lord, has created that desire, Father, we have achieved the purpose. Father, create the desire in each one of us. Create that desire that we will see you as that treasure. Treasure. Thank you, Father. Commit each one of us into your hands. Plead the blood of Jesus over each one of our lives, even as we go to the rest of the work week. Enable us to walk in your ways and enable us to endeavor and desire to know you. Until we meet the next time, if you choose to give us another opportunity. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen.